Hello and welcome to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas and inspiration for how to raise more money, enjoy their job and make a bigger difference. And on this episode, if you've ever had good intentions to put more effort into creating great experiences for your supporters, but you haven't followed through, or you haven't managed to get your colleagues to follow through and have high standards in this area, then you're gonna find this episode really useful. Because today we're looking at examples to strengthen your conviction that creating a great experience for your supporter consistently is not only the right thing to do, it also improves your fundraising results. So to help us explore these ideas, I was really excited to get the chance to talk to a fabulous fundraiser called Rachel Honeybun, who has worked for quite a few different charities, usually in individual giving, and she's currently based in Canada working with the fundraising consultancy Blakely. One reason I was especially keen to talk to Rachel was to find out about a particular piece of research she carried out to demonstrate to her colleagues the difference that better stewardship made to subsequent donations. I think you're going to find Rachel's insights and her examples really interesting. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by Bright Spot Mastery Programmes. So if you need to increase income in corporate partnerships or major donor and trust fundraising, these programmes will help. As well as the advanced strategies you learn on the training days, you receive one-to-one coaching to help you put those powerful techniques into practice. To find out more about the Corporate Mastery and Major Gifts Mastery programmes, head over to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the podcast and I'm today joined by Rachel Honeybun. Rachel, can you hear me? I can hear you fine, Rob. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you so much and thanks so much. I know you're so busy, especially at this time of year. Thanks for making time to talk to us for the podcast. Um, so you and I have bumped into each other at, at various conferences over the years and I've always really enjoyed hearing you speak on various fundraising topics. Uh, I know you know about lots of kinds of fundraising, but in particular, I think of you as an individual giving specialist, and I know you've been a successful consultant for several years. Um, just bring us up to speed with your your career right now. Am I right to think you're currently you're working with Blakely? That's right, yeah, Rob. Um, I'm actually, this, this last year I've been working with um, Blakely, who are an agency based in Canada. So um, I'm pretty much working exclusively with Canadian charities at the moment, which has been a really interesting interesting year and there's uh there's kind of quite a lot of learning from from that in lots of ways but yeah my uh my background is in individual giving direct response um i've worked for a number of charities here in the uk uh some very little ones and uh some nhs ones some hospice ones some uh, national charity or national medical charity ones um so i kind of I, I had quite a broad base before before I went to the other side, to the to the kind of consulting side. Mm. Um, and and it's it's one of the wonderful things when you do have the privilege of of being a consultant and working a in different countries and b in different kinds of organisations is that that wonderful chance to 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 learn diff, different strengths and different tactics from the different bits and pieces within the industry and 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 putting that back together and making the whole game that bit more rich and interesting in terms of the the techniques we can apply yeah absolutely and i think there's a there's a massive thing about understanding where people are coming from and the challenges that they face 
um, when you're working with people in in charities in, of all different sizes and and different kind of kind of areas I think that that has really it's really been very useful to kind of be able to draw upon that experience that I've, I've had kind of sitting in their seat so to speak mm. um, and uh, I've seen you speak on several different topics which which helped me over the years uh, but one of the things I see you as 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 having a real strength on compared to to some people in the industry is in terms of uh, the supporter experience and rather than only skill in acquisition skill in what how organized are we and how how determined are we to help donors who have chosen to support already have a, such a wonderful experience and feel cared for feel interested in um, that obviously a that's good for them but also crucially that's good for our bottom line as well and whilst i feel many fundraisers like that as a theory and it just chimes with good sense and good commercial sense as well in practice i see that too often we rarely get time to do those things even though we would love to if only you know the our instincts are right but follow through often tends to happen um and you and i were chatting the other day and you mentioned a, a, a really good recent example of a particular tactic you did to do with um this idea of wonderful experiences and I really loved the example and I, I wondered if, if, if you could just um, kind of set it up as, as to what the problem was or, or, or why this was needed and then potentially moving on to, to what you actually did. Yeah, well, I mean, it was uh, it was something that we did a couple of years ago um, when I was working at an international development charity called Practical Action. Um, and the, I mean, the the problem you, you've just kind of hit the nail on the head the problem that the sector has as a general whole is that we spend loads of money on acquisition and getting people in through the door and then the retention side of things which and i hate the word retention it sounds painful um but that that kind of idea of of developing loyalty and relationships because it's not quantifiable in some ways the return on investment isn't sometimes immediately visible it can really get forgotten um, and suddenly we become about a numbers game we become about getting people in through the door they have a really great welcome journey um, and then suddenly they're they're kind of dumped into a, a program that all they're all they're doing is being asked for money um, so this particular this particular tactic was something that we did but the strength of it wasn't what necessarily what we did but we actually looked back a year later at a control group and a test group to kind of see potentially what impact that activity had in pounds and pence so that kind of helps then business cases going forward for doing that kind of work and i think this particular this particular example um it was very easy to do that because we jumped on something that was um, organizationally wide very exciting and we had one of those um, lovely moments in your career where you put out a, an appeal kind of feeling like it's a good one this is like gut feeling it's a good one and it just went ballistic we generated this this appeal that we um, we did this activity on it generated twice what we'd normally get from our Christmas appeal and it happened in September we changed our tactics we um, we were running low on the budget we decided that we had uh, we had to do something different and we used actually a very emotional storytelling based um, tactic which we hadn't done before with our donors. And it obviously resonated, it was a strong story. And so this kind of came out of um, the need to capitalize on success 
And the whole organization was really excited about the money that this um, appeal was bringing in. So when we started thinking about what could we do to capitalize on the donor experience of these people who were giving, everybody wanted to be involved because everybody loves being involved with a success. So um, it was very easy to, to kind of get that emotional, emotional kind of roller coaster. And then, of course, a year later, when we were looking at the results, everybody was eager to find out what has happened because they were involved in doing it. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's kind of getting, getting people on board, I suppose. Yeah, yes. So one answer I, I heard was, can we put it in, in, into the, the very strategy itself? And our, our mm -hmm. friend uh, Craig Linton, the fundraising detective, he says almost everything he does now he includes, in addition to the objective of how much money it's going to raise or, or, or some other more obvious, he always includes a learning objective from the start in whatever tactical strategy he's doing. Even if we just learned that this headline works better than that headline, it's always there. Um, and, and then secondly, surprise, surprise, the more people you can involve in any of these initiatives rather than just you, the lone practitioner, anything where we, I mean, sometimes easier said than done, and you've acknowledged why it was easier this time, but for the listener, any time we involve other people in the fact that we are going to be measuring or looking back or reviewing in this way, of course, it's going to make it more likely to happen, whether or not you, the fundraiser, leave. Um, I, uh, I'd love to talk about these fascinating strategic elements, but I, I, probably the listeners wanting to know, well, what did you do, Rachel? Well, uh, so it all worked. The appeal was very successful, but that's not why I, I specifically love this example. What did you do next, Rachel? No, so, so the appeal was really successful, and I, um, I'm kind of naturally curious and kind of started doing some, um, doing some reports and having a look at, well, who's giving all this money and why, like, well, we didn't know kind of, why, apart from the fact that the the appeal was obviously uh, hit a lot of uh, a lot of chords, but what came out of my kind of data kind of curiosity was that we had um, about twenty four percent of the people who donated had given their largest ever gift to the charity on this particular appeal. Now we had a base of quite loyal donors and some who've been on the file for years and years. So it, that suddenly kind of got my kind of thinking going of actually this, this is quite, this is quite a big thing for that many people to have measured, to have given their largest ever gift. Um, and so I started thinking about how, how do we recognize the fact that they've given this, gift which is more than we asked for which is more than they've ever given before and and actually as an experience I wanted to acknowledge it in a similar way that we'd acknowledge a really high gift so um, the the kind of concept behind it was it doesn't matter how much you've given it's about the stretch between what you normally give and what you gave to this appeal. So if somebody had given a £20 to the appeal to the appeal and that was kind of their level of giving and then they'd given a £60 to this appeal, normally it would go unnoticed. But actually to that person, that's quite a stretch, that's quite a stretch gift. Um, and I I often always think as well that we don't necessarily, you can do propensity modeling and you can do kind of the, you know, where somebody lives and things like that. But there are people sitting on our files who have the ability to give more, but they're just not giving more because we're not um, kind of inspiring them in that way. 
So we started to think about um, kind of how, how we could apply maybe things that we do for mid or major level uh, donors to this group of people who had decided on this particular appeal to give um, a lot more than either we were asking for or that they, they'd, normally, they'd normally given. We pulled a file from the database of people who fit into that criteria um, of giving um, a, a, what we considered a stretch donation. And really easily, we got a load of people, including the IT team, I mean, everybody got involved into um, a room. We had some cards and, um, and we wrote them a, a handwritten card and the message was very simple. Um, it was, thank you for your particularly generous gift. We'd noticed that you'd given a particularly generous gift. Um, and it wasn't about saying how much that gift was gonna do or that it was one of our best gifts or things like that. It was about noticing. Um, that they changed their behaviour and thanking them for it. So the cards were signed personally by the person who wrote them, uh, handwritten envelopes, and, and they, went, they went off in the post. So you managed to get lots of different people in the organisation writing these thank you cards. You know, in the end, was it 100, 300 cards that had to be written? Um, oh gosh, it was, it was probably about 150. I can't remember the exact numbers. It was a small, we did a small kind of test, so it wasn't a huge number. And I think, and I, I loved, um, my database, um, analyst at the time who I worked with, um, we had a really great relationship and we had a very, um, he, he just kind of sat there and he said, but Rachel, it's not statistically relevant. Um, the, the numbers are too small and I just went yeah but it might give us an indication so um, from that I kind of go I'm, I'm looking for an indicative response rather than a statistical yes. response yes. and I get about statistical relevance and all of that stuff but sometimes you just have to do something so yes. that was so it was a, a small a small test there and I, I would say a sample size of 150 if you actually are are then measuring and seeing whether it made any difference is a i mean by all means let's not it's not worthy of a phd yeah, yeah. But my goodness it's a whole lot more persuasive to the rest of your colleagues if if something happens to those 150 more than for 150 who did who it didn't happen to just at a common sense level it's way better than nothing and and so 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 then you put stamps on and sent sent these these nice thank you letters to these people who, who had given a gift that to them was a stretch, even if it was simply a stretch from 20 to 60. And then uh, you looked back and reviewed whether it had made any difference in, in terms of future giving patterns. What happened? Well, we learned, so we had obviously the group who had a card and the group who didn't get a card. And we looked at what they'd given over that, that next year. Um, so there was no difference at all in the number of people, regardless of whether or not they got a card, the same number of people increased their giving and the same number of people decreased their giving. So from that, you kind of go, well, it made no difference. Mm -hmm. The massive difference that it did have is that there were a group of people who maintained their giving. So they flatlined and far more of the people who didn't get a card than got a card maintains their giving. So 9% of the people who got a card maintained versus 17% who didn't get a card. On the flip side, when we looked at people who doubled or more their giving, so they weren't just increasing, they were really increasing. They doubled it. We had far more people, 23% in fact, who received a card who doubled their giving the next year. So we basically, we we looked at this, this idea of a slight increase or a slight decrease, no difference. 
um, more people maintained who didn't get a card versus more people who doubled their giving who did get a card and what that actually meant in money was tens of thousands of pounds mm -hmm. because we're talking about people who have stretched their giving and then they've continued that that stretch um, mm -hmm. to, to that point um, so we looked at the whole group uh, which might might be kind of an easier way of, of explaining it and yes. in the group who didn't receive a card overall they increased their giving by 115 percent the next year so they were they were good donors and they they did increase the group who did receive a card got to 174 percent so that's quite a significant difference in increase of of giving of people who received this card and got that feel good feeling versus people who didn't and we didn't acknowledge their their increase yeah um and and at some level it, it comes comes back to years ago when i was doing my psychology degree about learning theory and, and you know decades and decades of research into learn how how people and mammal all mammals learn is they do more of what they get rewarded for and they try to do less of what gets ignored or not rewarded and at, at its simplest if and when this donor did a behavior that which is hope, hopefully good for them but definitely good for our beneficiaries the act of noticing it and acknowledging it and in a, in a sense extra hit of dopamine and they help them feel good because we noticed yeah it caused them to think oh that felt good they liked it now i feel good again i'm going to do that again yeah unpacking that that thanking process as i see it there's there's broadly two challenges with thanking number one is having a being organized enough having a policy or a process that it happens you know soon enough after the gift and so on and and, and we don't no one slips through the gap and that on the one hand we need to be efficient with our thanking and a bit of effort can help many charities once you see how valuable it is what a wonderful difference it makes a to the donor who's good enough to to make this gift but b also over time to future chance of gifts if we get more efficient and and get that done that is good for our overall ability to help those we serve but then the 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 the, the yang to the yin if you see what i mean is yeah. this um more creative more high touch more you know stuff inspired by that wonderful book the power of moments by chip and dan heath these these more more exciting fun things which quite a lot of people i know get excited about yeah, I, I think we need to do both of these, and it, and and the organisations that really nail it manage to be both organised yeah. and somehow make time for the higher touch, uh, yeah. more exciting stuff. Is there yeah. anything you've learned about how how to manage to have our cake and eat it? Well, I, I've got um, actually recently I um, I gave an online gift to SolarAid, um, and they demonstrated exactly this actually, and it's about it's about quality of thanking and acknowledgement, but also timeliness. So I gave an online gift. I think it was about 15 pounds. It wasn't a huge gift. And the online experience that you get are, at SolarAid site is brilliant because they have this little calculator and tells you how many lights you've lit or lamps you've lit and, and it's great. So I got my um, online um, email thanking me for my gift. 
probably about six weeks later, maybe a little bit more, I remember because it was near my birthday, I got this orange um, envelope through the post and it was handwritten on the outside. And so I thought, oh, it's a birthday. It looks like a birthday card. And I opened it and it was a letter from SolarAid and it was a thank you letter with a handwritten PS. And the, the, this was the amazing thing. The handwritten PS apologized for the thank you letter being late. And I thought that was absolutely great because I'd given £15 online and that's the first physical thank you letter I've had for a £15 online donation. Mm. And it's this idea of, yeah, they got the, they got the basics right, they got the efficiencies right at the mm. time, but later on. And actually, the fact that it was later on, I think, was a real benefit because it reminded me of that great feeling that I had six weeks ago. Now, the interesting thing is they've recently written to me because it's Christmas time coming up, isn't it? So it's, uh, I got their Christmas letter. And honestly, uh, with all due respect to SolarAid, it wasn't something that I was particularly inspired by, probably just kind of me versus um, another donor. They still got a donation because they made that experience so great that it didn't really matter what they were writing to me about. I was like, I, I'd already kind of thought the next time they ask me, I'm going to give them a donation. So it's that. And I thought that was quite interesting as well, just from a channel perspective, because I think we kind of just assume that if somebody gives online, that, that they're an online person. And actually if I can't give or buy anything online, I don't do it, but I use it as the way that I do transactions, not how I want to be communicated with going forward. So I think there's some learning there on, on channel integration and the fact that actually just because somebody is giving A, a small amount and B, online, negate, doesn't uh, negate the need for proper thanking. I, I can give donor aid, uh, SolarAid a bigger gift than £15 and the last one they got was bigger. But that initial kind of testing, like what are they going to do? Um, is quite uh, kind of it, it. It provided quite a good experience. Let's say. Mm. Um, I, I love that distinction you, you may made between the channel they first heard from us on, not then treating that, putting us in a box and thinking we are only that. Um, but the the other thing when when uh, Richard Turner, who I know quite well now, and I've interviewed him several times. He said the challenge of how you how you wow people and give them these special moments, which which authors like Chip and Dan Heath absolutely demonstrate is commercially valuable and helps your bottom line. How do you do that without spending your whole afternoon in a brainstorm all the time? <laughs> um, yeah. you, as a, you do have to be precious with your time and other resources. And, and the dis key distinction, one of them that Richard and his colleagues made several years ago was the reason we're not doing these wonderful thank yous, it's not that we don't want to, it's just we haven't got the tools by our desk to do it. Our instinct is there and then the moment is lost and we didn't act. So they just got these beautiful, inspiring, colourful, emotive thank you cards printed up with, with you know, you just look at the front of, of someone who's able to do their homework because they've got a solar lamp, i.e. the, the donor. They've got these beautiful cards printed up everyone's got a pile of those on their desk and anyone whether they get a, a gift from a, a major donor a corporate or or wherever and if, if nothing else we may also do something efficient but if and when you can in any given week if you you send four or five of these quick quick thank you notes using this beautifully printed thing that may only add to your your work total of 
10, 15 minutes in a given week to send four or five of those. Yeah. But the, the, the wisdom was in advance knowing it was necessary to get the lovely cards printed up. And I, I've followed that advice and, and, and in my business since I've got my equivalent of those kinds of thank you cards and congratulations cards. Most weeks I get one or two of those out and it's made such a difference, A, to how I feel and connect with other people and B, I gather from, from other people, it makes them feel special. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great example. And I think that whole thing, like when I think about the Solar Aid letter that I received, it wasn't a handwritten letter. Like they wrote a little PS, much the same as, you know, I can, like you go to a restaurant in North America and they always sign the, the receipt at the bottom. And it's a really nice little personal touch that doesn't, it doesn't take a, a, a lot of time. I also, I did hear, and I honestly can't remember which charity it was, so um, apologies for that, but I remember hearing about a charity that at the beginning of every one of their meetings, they get people to do like a, a, a little note and a, and a signature on a card and the same at board meetings and things. So actually it becomes part of the organization. It spreads the load and you don't, you don't necessarily like you can have things that feel personal that are, are kind of done in advance. That's, that's kind of the, the cleverness, I suppose, isn't it? Of, of making something a, a bit personal, but without taking up all that time. Mm. Um, so, that there's, there's this extra angle to all of this, which uh, I, I think needs to be pulled out. And um, uh, the listener who, if you have read this wonderful book called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, there's a really great example of what the, the British uh, coffee shop chain Pret or sandwich chain Pret do. And I, I wrote about it in a blog the other day because I finished a long, tiring day's work in London, needed my, my quick cup of tea and cake before I got on the train. And uh, the person at Pret sorted it out for me and I was getting my wallet out to pay and they said, uh, no, it's, it's on the house. And I was completely baffled as to why on earth a, a coffee shop chain would be giving me, I thought there was a trick. And he said, no, no, really, you look, you look like you had, had a long day. It's my gift to you. And in that moment, I was utterly baffled and delighted and you know it really made my day um i tweeted about it sometimes I've, I've told more than one person about it since and in the book the power of moments the authors say uh, it wasn't a random fluke that some naughty employee was doing it's company policy that everyone who works in pret has a certain amount as just a small amount but in each given week they're allowed to give a certain way of free number of free value of free drinks away and and it happened you know, a lot when I say this at conferences, usually about a third of the room puts their hand up and says it's happened to them too. And what they say is the, the, the person who uh, runs Pret said, we thought about, we knew we wanted to make people feel special, but we didn't want to do a, like a, one of those little loyalty card schemes that just makes a process out of this thing. We didn't want to take the job. We wanted to keep it spontaneous. So, but, but we made the policy that you're allowed to do it every week. But the extra crucial, clever thing about it, and the reason why I'm bringing it up now, isn't the moment that is being created for me, the customer. It's this extra power it has for the person who gets to give away free stuff every week. Yeah. And in that moment of seeing Rob go from exhausted to baffled to joyful at getting free cake, I think it might have cheered up. You know, she was probably tired too at the end. You know, goodness knows, she's been on her feet a lot longer than I had. And in that moment, getting to be the good guy 
and surprise someone with a nice thing they weren't expecting. You know, retail is a lot of it is hard, long hours, and the prep the prep person is smart to have to be doing it for that reason as well. And the reason I'm saying this is, you know, when you manage to get your whole team, Rachel, in, you know, including the IT team and the database person, get them all do a bit of that. In that moment, I think they acted like fundraisers, even just an easy, pleasant little fun thing with a cup of coffee. But in that moment, they were being fundraisers and they were focusing on care, caring about donors. A, hopefully it was interesting, but B, if overall a lot of our game as fundraisers is to help all of our charities become more interested in donors, care about them, work harder to be donor-centric, and you know, there, there was someone on the individual giving mastery program that I run with, with, with Craig Linton, who organized a little mini, mini thankathon, and all it actually in practice made, meant was she, she managed to persuade each of her trustees and several members of staff to make four or five phone calls to donors to thank them. That's all it was. But what was so smart about it is she, is she said, do you know what, they've been so much more interested and helpful towards me for these other fundraising things, giving me the information or whatever, because it had now become part of their identity. I'd help them practice being fundraisers. So that's the other angle on where, if, when, when we can involve people, it helps our overall culture. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I, I don't know if, if you've managed to organise many thankathons or just other versions of that. Um, I, I haven't personally, but I, um, I, I have worked with um, MAG International, um, who, and I don't take any credit for the thankathon, that's, uh, that's kind of them, them that did that. And it, they got their trustees involved and, and it's all, it, it's a great thing. And actually the comments that came back from the trustees, because what we did do was we did a little exercise with, okay, what's the return on investment on this? And we did exactly what, I did a practical action and started to look at the, the financial. Um, but actually more important than the financial side of things are the, are the trustees that were saying, actually, this made me feel really good. And it really, really got me involved. And I do believe that supporter experience is impossible to be done in a silo. The, you know, the person, the receptionist is one of the most important people in an organisation for delivering great supporter experience because their first point of call volunteers are too. And I think I love, I love that, um, that prep example. And actually it's made, made me think I had exactly the same experience, but on a train on a, um, recently and and I didn't get charged for the for the upgrade that I was going for and he was just like well if my company's taking care of you by giving you a special offer then I'm going to take even better care of you and it's on me and that wow. feeling was just amazing and I read recently as well about a hotel chain that um, empowers their staff to solve problems by giving them a budget that they can spend how they like i think it's two thousand pounds or dollars a year um but if they come across a problem they're empowered to solve it in the best way that they fit and i think that empowerment of people and that ownership um is so incredibly important because that's where that's where the magic happens one of the other lovely stories i like from the power of moments is of of uh, this particular there's a hotel in, in the LA area that's routinely in the top three of all hotels in the LA area. And the other two are these big fancy famous names like the Hilton. And this one 
if you go there, I mean, it's not dirty, but it's not a big flash place. You know, it hasn't got an Olympic-sized swimming pool and so on. It hasn't got the most fancy latest furnishings, but they're always rated right up at the top. And it's because they've got this create magic moments strategy. And there's lots of ways they do that. But just one example is by the swimming pool, there's what they call the popsicle hotline. And uh, if, if, you're, if, if you're there with your family swimming in their hotel and you fancy an ice cream, you just go to the red bat phone, popsicle phone, and you, or you pick it up and someone at the other end answers, popsicle, hop, help, popsicle helpline, what would you like? And you say, I want a strawberry one, please, strawberry ice cream. And then, you know, two minutes later, a waiter with wearing white gloves brings you an ice cream on a silver tray. Oh, my gosh. That's it's the little things, isn't it? It doesn't have to cost a fortune, and you know there are so many stories um, of wonderful little things that actually make a huge difference. Yeah, love that. I think my from studying this more and more, I, I now do a course called Wow Your Donors, which is all about this ethos, and I I uh, highly recommend anyway for the listener to check if they you're interested in this way of thinking, and the cold hard commercial value in making time to strategically work more this way and create a culture where it's possible and encourage for your people to work this way, then, then I, I would really recommend a, a wonderful read called The Power of, the Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. Um, we'd, uh, we'd better wrap up uh, fairly soon, Rachel. If people like some of these ideas and they, they want to follow up more or talk, talk to you and get more, more advice, um, how could people seek you out, Rachel? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not the only Rachel Honeybun on LinkedIn because my sister-in-law is called Rachel Honeybun, funny enough. So, but I'm, I'm the fundraising Rachel Honeybun on LinkedIn and, um, you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm Rachel underscore honey. Um, and obviously through Blakely, who I'm working with at the moment, um, that there's a, there's an opportunity to get in touch with me through, through the, the wonderful world that's Blakely. Fantastic. So, um, uh, again, a huge thank you, Rachel, for, for not only making time, but, but coming along and sharing such helpful stories and examples and bits of advice. I really appreciate it. Um, I look forward to, to meeting you at a, a conference, conference soon in the new year. Uh, and until till that time, uh, have a really good afternoon's fundraising and we will speak to you again soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So there you go. I hope you found Rachel's findings helpful and that we've given you just a tiny bit more positive impetus with your own efforts to create great experiences for your existing supporters. If you're curious about any of the in-house fundraising masterclasses or the one-to-one coaching or the mastery programs that we offer, then again, all of that information is on brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you'd like to follow up on any of these ideas, do check out the show notes on our website. And I'll also put a link in there to that excellent book, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, which, as I say, has really helped me to see stewardship as an opportunity to add wow factor to the supporter's experience. If you found today's episode helpful, we've got lots more valuable stories and strategies coming up in the series. So if you don't want to miss out, please do remember to subscribe to the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing more great stories and ideas next time.